After three years of waiting, the Knicks finally won games on back-to-back days. We break down what went right for the Knicks and wins over the Magic and Celtics, what this team needs, and the debut of Sal's story. A little trip down memory lane from my Knicks fandom days. We'll also chat with one of the feisty and hard-nosed Knicks from those 90s and early 2000 teams, a Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback turned NBA guard, Charlie Ward. All that plus inside the doghouse and more. That's coming up next on Big Apple Buckets from the New York Post. Welcome back to Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Sal Akata, alongside my co-host, former Knicks and NBA big man, Jerome the Junkyard Dog Williams. What's up, JYD? New new episodes of the podcast drop every Tuesday afternoon. Subscribe to Big Apple Buckets on Apple Podcasts. Go in there and give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. It does help. If you're not an Apple user, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or Amazon. You can also call in to our Big Apple Buckets voicemail. Leave your questions and comments for us. The number 973-988-3923 or leave us an email at BigAppleBucketsPod at gmail.com, and we'll answer them on next week's show. JYD, thankfully, the Knicks have responded here, and they're winners of two straight back-to-back days. It was looking like, you know, last time we talked about it, Knicks have taken a punch. They have not gotten up, and then they go out there and lose to Brooklyn, and they lose a disappointing game to Cleveland on that Friday night, but have since responded with a big win in Boston and then a big win against the Magic on MLK Day, to me, it all starts with the defense. The defense leads to offense. I know the offense hasn't been great. The shooting certainly hasn't been great. But this team's strength, JYD, is their D. Hey, I agree. I agree. Come on now. It's that that Todd Tibbs, you know, formula that keeps them popping. But the thing is, you know, we mentioned this earlier. They have to remain diligent about keeping the turnovers down, right? So in the Magic game, turnover, they won the battle, 11 to 6. Six turnovers equal wins because sometimes the offense isn't going to be there, right? The defense is going to improve throughout the year. But those turnovers and the points that lead to the turnovers, that's the key for this team, Sal. And they won that battle the last two games, and that's why you see the good results at the end. And before we get into some of the individual efforts here over the course of the last week or so, just overall, when we talked about a team that got off to the five and three start and then they lost five straight, they did something here over the last two days that they have not been able to do. Not only went on back to back days for the first time in three years, but get off the mat, JYD. We've seen so many times in recent years, maybe they get off to a good start or they have a good week or two and people think that they're going to turn it around and then they fall off the face and go into the tailspin that they're never able to get out of. Well, the tailspin this time lasted five games and then they win two straight. I think that speaks volumes to not only Thibodeau and what he's been able to do, but also the competitive nature of each individual on that Knicks roster. Well, the one thing I saw in the last game is that our, you know, the assists were down, right? And we still got the win. They only had 15 assists, and that speaks to exactly what you just said, Sal. They, the guys individually taking, holding themselves accountable. Like, how am I going to, you know, contribute? How am I going to make sure 
we win. And it starts on the defense, but then they were able to fuel some offense individually and not have to rely too much on their teammates creating shots for one another. So I see that as a positive. You know, we won the rebound battle 53 to 51. That's also key in, in into this because we talk about every week. Who's going to get into the fight, Sal? You got to get into the fight. got to get dirty. I do. got to get dirty when you're down. And we lost five games, so they had to come back with some dirt. Get in there and get get you know get rough. And they do have some dogs on this team. You know the good type of dogs, the JYD type of dogs on this team. One guy, and look, you could think big picture. You want to say playoffs, and I do think that should be a realistic goal, right? But let's focus on the importance of this season and what it's about. It's about establishing the foundation, which it seems like Thibodeau is doing and also the development of the young guys. Let's start with R.J. Barrett, a guy who I've been very critical of because of the lack of the outside shot. But I'll tell you something, JYD. I'm starting to fall in love with R.J. Barrett because he excels in the other areas. He plays hard. He's mature beyond his years. He attacks the rim. That is a plus-plus, his strength of attacking the rim. He's gotten better shooting the free throw. So while you can sit there and point out his deficiencies and say, well, his shooting is inconsistent, he can't shoot the three ball, R.J. Barrett has turned into a consistent scorer when attacking the rim. I'm becoming a big fan of R.J. Barrett in his game. And why wouldn't you become a fan, Sal? I mean, he's attacking the cup. That's what we spoke about. He listened to the podcast. He's listening to Big Apple Buckets. He knows J.Y.D. speaking the truth. He's got to take it to the cup. And that's what he's been doing. And he's getting great results. He's shooting a high percentage clip. He's getting to the foul line, which we all said, if he can get to the foul line, he shoots a very high percentage. We take that all day. Just shot selection. If you're going to take some outside shots, mix it up. That's good. But you don't have to live and die by saying keep shooting. The biggest weakness, no question on this team, is their lack of shooting. Now, they sorely miss Alec Burks, and we're not sure exactly his day-to-day. We're not sure exactly when the Knicks are going to get him back, but they've needed them. I mean, we talked about it at the time. You could see early on, even though he played three games, whatever it was, how impactful he was going to be on this offense because he provides something that not a lot of the other guys do. So they sorely miss Alec Burks and will continue to do so until he comes sure. back. He's going to space the floor out tremendously. Right. Exactly. But one guy in his absence, JYD, another guy who I've been very critical of, and he still needs to become more consistent, but Kevin Knox has started to hit that outside shot, in particular the three-pointer, with more consistency. Can you count on Knox to do that? I mean, that is going to be a big factor here as far as this team goes moving forward. Can Kevin Knox be that guy to be relied upon to provide some outside shooting in addition to Burks when he gets back healthy? Well, you know what I'm saying, you know, he doesn't really give me that kind of confidence in terms of just being the, the you know, the go-to guy mm-hmm. for that shot, because I think that he still brings a lot of other intangibles to the game because he can penetrate. He can get uh, things going to the bucket when he gets things going, going. Yeah, he could he could hit shots, but I think he's a little streaky to be the one that, you know, we actually rely upon, rely upon. Well, you know well, what I mean? Like if Alex, if Alex Burks comes out and starts shooting duds, we're like, wait a minute, this is what you do. Why aren't you doing it? We're not going to give that to Kevin Knox right now. They, you know, I'm with you. I, I don't, there's something about it. I don't trust, but he's opening my eyes because he's been better and they, they need that. I mean, they need Burks. We know that, but they need more than just that. And that is a part of Knox's game that he's shown while inconsistent He's shown he can knock down the outside shot. 
more so than, say, Barrett. If you ask me right now, I mean, who's the better player? I think R.J. Barrett, no question about it. But if you ask me moving forward who I would trust to be the better shooter from three-point range, I think it's Kevin Knox. I think that's part of his game. Another big point, JYD, is the point guard play. And I know Nick fans are talking about starting Emmanuel quickly. And he looked great to start the year. And then he went into a little lull when he came back from the injury. And now again, I mean, have you seen a shot as automatic as that floater by IQ? Jay, that is float a game, float game, float game. I mean, that is a difficult shot. He's been knocking it down with ease, JYD. How about Emmanuel quickly and his reemergence here? as a main player on this Knicks roster. I think it was the game against Cleveland. He scored like 23. I mean, float game was in effect. And I'm saying to myself, oh, man. And, we, you know, you end up losing that game by like four points or so. But that was on the heels of also losing, you know, five straight. And I'm saying to myself, man, you know, this kid, he's definitely got got what it takes. You just got to keep homing him in, keep gaining more and more experience as he steps out on the court. You know, the consistency is this. He's scoring double figures in the last, you know, three, four games straight. That's big when you look at a rookie, especially one that, you know, was was drafted later in the first round. He's got some, got some potential, man. He just got to keep getting better. I don't think we should put him into that starting role just yet. Elfred, you know, is obviously doing, you know, doing a good job. I think he gives you that, that that veteran right there at that spot. You know, there's going to be always room for improvement uh, with Quigley as he gains more confidence. So I think it's best that he just still comes off the bench. Agreed. I like him off the bench. And I think Peyton's done a nice job here. Alfred Payton, Nick fans love to knock him. He's a solid player. And it kind of reminds me, and I know we'll talk to Charlie Ward in just a little bit, but it kind of reminds me, not exactly, but the combination of Ward and Chris Childs when they were in the Knicks backcourt together as uh, as point guards kind of bring different things. And I feel like Alfred Payton kind of brings a, a different energy and a different style of play than Emmanuel, Quick, uh, Emmanuel Quickly. He's going to be an impactful player, Quickly will be for the Knicks. Right now, though, I like his energy coming off the bench. How about Obi Toppin? You know, again, we're touching on Barrett and Knox and Quickly. Obi Toppin, another piece that this season is about and the development of him moving forward. What have you seen so far since Toppin has come back from his injury, JYD? You know, just a little bit of energy. Um, you know, I think that it's going to take him a little while. That calf, that calf thing, it takes a minute to really get that pop back. And by pop, I mean those twi- those twitch fibers, man, being quick off the floor, quick off the jump. That's Obi's uh, strength. You know, that's his M.O. And I think that that injury, you know, you have to come, you know, slowly get your rhythm back. So I'm waiting for him to have a few good breakout games to know that, you know, he's he's gotten his legs back underneath of him and really, you know, going to rim confidently because last couple games, you know, two points last game, obviously, and that's off of a back to back. But the night before he only had I mean, that that was a game where I said, okay, we might have something right here because he had 12 points getting that getting that same pop off of back to back. I think that'd be that'd be good for him and his development. And the Knicks sit now, you know, 15 games is a nice sample size to start the year. They sit at seven and eight, which I think is more than most people would expect. And I love the fact that they went through that five game losing streak and now have responded with two straight to kind of recover a little bit and get them. And they're in the thick of the playoff uh, race right now, way early, but still 
Now, they have a tough West Coast trip coming up Thursday night at Golden State, Friday at Sacramento, Sunday at Portland, Tuesday at Utah. No question that is going to be a very difficult stretch. From a fan's perspective, JYD, I always love the West Coast trips. It's a bonding experience. You know, it's a late start here on the East Coast, so you feel like you're watching the game alone, bonding with your team out there on the West Coast. I know there's no fans in the building, so that makes it a little different. But West Coast trips, and maybe you could tell me from a player's perspective as far as the team bonding, difficult on paper with this stretch, but a a time to maybe bond. The fans bond with their team out on the West Coast, see what they could do. And from a player's perspective, what does that mean going out on the four-game West Coast road trip? Hey, for all the new rookies, you know, this is big because they got to see – the West Coast for the first time, right? They get to go out there and check out San Francisco, where to eat, where to hang, what to do, what, when, and where. But they just don't want to be caught with one of those 62-piece chicken nuggets from a la chef serving up some catfish dinner, right, to the Nick fans. No, we don't want that. So you can't stay out too late. You got to make sure that first date uh, with Steph Curry and the, and the Golden State Warriors is, is ready to go. But West Coast, it's all about the West Coast. You're going to get some of that good sunshine. So I, I know the Licks, they're looking forward to that, especially the young guys. Two things, guys. As, one, it's, as long as now you're going to Jamal Crawford's party, you're fine because don't ask the 0405 right. Knicks about going to the West Coast, and that ruined the season. And the second thing is, I thought we only had one dog in this session, but Sal's actual dog has appeared on the screen with us. Sal, what is your dog? We got the junkyard dog. Who is your dog? My dog Maddox here has been hanging out with me down in the basement. Usually he's upstairs at this time, but yeah, he's been hanging. He's just lounging on the floor here. I think he hears JYD barking all the time. And he feels like this. Shout out to Maddox. <laughs> <laughs> Maddox, been watching. we've been bonding, watching a lot of Nick games, and we'll do so on the West Coast. I just always love those games. Uh, Producer Jake, maybe you could talk about this from a fan's perspective, too. And I say this with baseball all the time. The West Coast trips, maybe it's because you, you know, grew up, my parents would be sleeping, whatever. You, you know, now it's different. My wife is sleeping and you're up. It's just you and your team. It's quiet. Nothing else is going on. And it's a nice bonding experience for you with the team. And I'm looking forward to seeing the Warriors, who I haven't watched, the Kings, the Blazers, and the Jazz we saw, obviously, come to the Garden. But we haven't seen some of these teams. So I'm looking forward to this West Coast trip. It is cool because, you know, you could get through two slates of games. You're watching earlier games. And then at night, you're like, oh, my team is playing. Now, I'll be 30 in a few weeks on February 5th, marking on your calendars. So the early and mid-20s, Jake, was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll am i be up 2, 3 a.m. Now I'm approaching 30, and I'm feeling like you old heads over here. And now I'm like, damn, 10.30 start. I start complaining about, am I going to make it through? I'm going to push through. I think I will. Uh, maybe I'll set my you know new season of All-American earlier, finished up Cobra Kai, and then watch the game later. But I'm feeling like you guys, man. Those When it's when it's midnight and only the third quarter, I'm like, damn, I'm getting sleepy. Sal, can you hear this guy, Jake, <laughs> talk about 30 years old, February? Come on, my Jake. My knees are breaking down, JYD. He's such a youngin'. Come on, man. You not that old, brother. You still supposed to be out there, you know, staying up to 11, 12 with no problem. One one cup of orange juice and a half a glass of water, that is enough for the dog pound. That's all we need. By the time tip-off happens, I'm three-quarters of a bottle of wine deep, so I don't know if I'm going to make it till 1 a.m. That bottle of Pinot Grigio might be finished by the time the game starts. And, and full disclosure, these Knicks over the course of the last, the better of the last two decades have not given you a reason to stay up that late to watch a game. I probably haven't watched a Knicks West Coast game from start to finish in 10, 20 years. And I'm looking forward to doing that because of the way that this team is. 
this year, playing hard most nights, both ends of the floor. It'd be nice to see them score a little bit more here, and they're going to have to. I mean, going against the Warriors and then De'Aaron Fox and the Kings, so it should be a challenging road trip. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for these four games coming up. Should be good. Uh, and JYD, you're on the West Coast anyway, so for you, it's no big deal. I mean, I'm hoping I can stay up. This, this is now prime time for you. 23 wins to Sizzler, or not Sizzler. We're not, we're not doing Sizzlers. 23 wins to Steak. Sal, we're almost there. He said 30. 30, man. Yeah, they're at three. Yeah, they're at seven. 23 more. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, my bad. 23 more to go, not just 23 overall. We'll see if the Knicks can get there. Got to avoid those five-game losing. Look, realistic, before we wrap this segment up here, realistic, what do you expect here, JYD? I mean, are you just looking for competitive basketball? You're looking to say, all right, well, you go one and three, two and two. What do you think when you look at that as far as what would be a successful road trip for the Knicks? Successful would be two and two. One and three would be on on par. Right. Right? Anything less than that, you know, you're going the other direction. All right. Well, the Knicks will hit that four-game West Coast road trip, and then, of course, we'll be back with you next Tuesday to wrap that up. Coming up next, though, we go back inside the doghouse with the junkyard dog, JYD, only on the Big Apple Buckets podcast. It's now that time of the show where the junkyard dog takes you inside the doghouse with a story from his NBA playing days, JYD, MLK Day, the Knicks getting a big win. You have any MLK Day stories from your playing days you'd like to share? Come on, Sal. You know I always got something for you, something hot in the kitchen with the dog pound. So this week, I'm going to give you this story. I'm not going to give you the name of this player because I played with some very strategic, you know, franchises and and, you know, if you really look into the history, you could probably figure it out. But the way this is famous for MLK is because MLK, we always play during the day. That was the that was the highlight of, of, of you know, the, the franchises playing during the day on MLK. So that, that kind of uh, conflicted our normal schedule of a 730, 8 p.m. game. So we would go to the gym without having a shoot around. Uh, just straight in, you know, basically, you know, guns blazing, as I, I used to say. Now, on the way to the gym this particular morning, you know, you're thinking about MLK and different things. Well, on the way over on the bus ride, there was a teammate of mine that was in the back having some issues with one of his baby mamas. Now, Sal, you know how this goes down, right? usually you know you kind of quiet about it you know we know the guys have it man it was sparks flying i mean just man you could hear her at the front of the bus and she wasn't on speaker (laughs) oh man she was that loud it it was it was just it was just one of those things where you're trying to you know i don't i don't even think i it was definitely before my headphones really i didn't were no beats back in the day right so we couldn't muffle the sound and get big get our head we had to actually you know, I'm I'm just collecting my thoughts as I'm riding over to the gym. There was no, you know, headphones like this back. So I'm listening. I'm like, man, this guy's in sit. So I nicknamed him Baby Drama instead of Baby Mama. So I actually wrote a song about it, Sal. What? You know, yep. I had to write a rap song about it. Just wrote I and recorded? Next Generation. Wrote and recorded a rap song? Yep, yep. Wow, yep. look it's at you. Under, it was Under Pressure. That was the name of the song. It was called Under Pressure because you got guys who are under pressure. And I said, you know, what you're going to do when the pressure's on you dribbling down the court and and figuring out what you're going to do. Like, what are you going to do when this pressure hits? A lot of guys, they got different ways of dealing with pressure and you don't want to fall into the wrong traps. Some guys were dealing with the pressure. They go out drinking or 
smoke marijuana or whatever they had to do to deal with the pressure. So I'm telling the kids, hey, you don't want to deal with pressure that way because that kind of pressure is going to be all around you, especially if you plan to play some basketball. Did you play so this? He's getting ready to deal with the pressure, but he's on he's under some baby drama pressure right now. Did you play this for your teammates after you uh, wrote and recorded it? Oh yeah, yeah. You know I had to throw, throw that in the. <laughs> Can we get room. the acapella acapoco version? Do you the remember the lyrics? I just gave you a couple of bars. It's better with the beat. Better with yeah. the beat, Jake. You we got to get that track somewhere, and we can play it here on the podcast one of these weeks. Jyd, you got to release that. that. Got to release it. The first LP, the Jyd first LP. What do we got? Yeah, yeah. Just you know, first LP took it to uh, New York City streets, Manhattan, Harlem. Uh, <laughs> took it out to the Bronx and Brooklyn. You know, let them get a taste, let. Them, get some flavor from the dog pound hey, hey sal they had they had posters up junkyard dog we love you you know <laughs> how did the, the teammates respond crew. the teammates oh, was, yeah. i mean except the actual teammate who it was about uh, did he respond to it did he not hear it or how'd that go yeah he didn't hear it okay <laughs> that could have been uncomfortable i would have realized like hey wait a minute is that me? Is the Junkyard Dog <laughs> your rap name, or do you have an alter ego rap name? No, no, no. See, Junkyard Dog is universal, Jake. We wrestle, we rap, we we take numbers, everything. We do it all. Right. You don't need you don't need alter egos when you got JYD. Love that the Dog Pound shirt, JYD. Producer Jake, you can't just go out there and say your your rap name is Jake. It just doesn't work like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, Jay Swizzy is my alter ego. Yeah. So you, you'll get a Jay dose. Swizzy. You'll get a dose of Jay Swizzy at some point. Alex has heard it. He's heard sprinkles. He's, oh, he's heard the fire that's come out of out of the the flames of his mouth. So one day you'll get it. Like a sizzler steak, you'll get you'll get the juicy the juicy verse. There we have it inside the doghouse. JYD, be careful. JYD might write a diss track if you get on his bad side. Maybe like Dame Lillard out here. Be like Shaq coming with these bars, baby. Look, if you wore a Knicks uniform in the 90s, you are automatically one of my favorites. But this guy was one of the more favorite, favorite players that I had. He was there forever with those playoff teams in the 90s with the Knicks. He won a Heisman Trophy but chose basketball, and we're thankful that he did. He is the current host of the Believe, B-L-E-A-V, in the ACC podcast with Lloyd Spence and J.R., Charlie Ward takes the time to join us now. Charlie, the Knicks off to a good start here this year, playing some hard-nosed basketball under one of your former assistants, Tom Thibodeau. Have you paid attention to what's gone on with the Knicks this season as it seems like a turnaround now in progress for a franchise that has basically been down since you left? I mean, the, the glory days have been almost 20 years ago when you were a part of those Knicks teams. How about the turnaround that maybe you're seeing from afar with the New York's Knicks, New York Knicks organization? Well, I've been talking to Tibbs or texting back and forth and encouraging uh, during the time. I know uh, the team, of course, there's a couple of things that's going to happen under Tibbs' watch. Uh, one is going to be detailed, um, and they're going to commit to playing defense. You know, one of the things that may wane, if anything's going to wane or slack off, would be offensively. And one of the things that we've seen so far outside of last night where they only scored 91 points, but they were able to hold, you know, the magic down to 84. You know, when they score points, they, it gives them a chance to win games because they're going to play good defense. And I know uh, Tills was was with us uh, during our time there in New York, and he's a, you know, he's under Coach Van Gundy for quite some time, and he's going to be detailed. Guys don't know what they're supposed to be doing, their role, um, and so that's one of the things uh, he's going to bring or has brought to uh, the team 
is guys understanding what they're supposed to be doing and playing their roles to the best of their ability. And when you talk about roles back in the day, you were probably one of the king of roles, especially uh, for the Knicks in your era. Talk a little bit about the flashbacks of yesteryear in comparison to today when there's less role players out here. Uh, well, actually, I mean, you find them on the good teams where your role players have to play their role uh, to the best of their ability. And um, and everyone's not going to be able to score on a nightly basis uh, a lot of points. But you have to be prepared on, from an offensive standpoint if you're a role player to play off your superstars because your stars are going to get get theirs. Uh, but you have to be, be able to be complimentary. And defensively, my job was to die for loose balls, uh, be a hard-nosed uh, ball defender. I was a good team, helped defender. Um, I rebounded, uh, did all the little things, boxing out and getting under people's skin, in a sense, from that standpoint. But, you know, when you have good role players uh, that play their roles, then you're going to – and you have stars as well, then you're going to uh, have some success. But you got to have guys that can um, – make things happen from an offensive standpoint uh, where you can get their own shots, but they can also get other guys shots. And uh, hopefully, you know, the Knicks can continue to. I really haven't watched who they have. I know they have some young guys uh, that they're grooming, uh, but hopefully they can continue to play at a high level uh, from an offensive standpoint because defensively, I know they'll they'll be tough. You know, Charles, you just touched on a bunch of reasons why I loved you as a player. You didn't need to score 30 points tonight. That wasn't your job. But you did your job. You went out there. You played hard-nosed defense, respected possessions, were a true point guard. And you also had Chris Childs to compliment you a little bit, who came in and, and you know, was more of maybe the offensive guard, but not good defensively, certainly. Maybe not uh, quite the tightened-up, buttoned-up player you were. But, man, I, I love just watching you play because you brought – those intangibles you brought that intensity and fit perfectly and led a team and kind of came out of nowhere to be that team's leading point guard for those 90s Knicks playoff teams all those years well I mean I finally got replaced by a bigger name at the end of my career but uh, during my tenure with the Knicks you know they were always wanting a bigger name point guard or you know someone that did something different uh, but that just wasn't you know my role uh, my role was to make open shots uh, make plays from an offensive standpoint you know, get everyone that's involved. Uh, when you have Patrick Ewing, um, Latrell Sprewell, Allen Houston, Larry Johnson, those guys, they need the basketball in their hands uh, because they're able to make plays. And uh, when you get them the ball and they're playing well, then everyone can eat, you know, when it comes to, you know, the offensive end. Uh, but I, I was able to survive nine and a half years, you know, being a role player in New York. And I relished my job because I understood it. And that's one of the things I work to try to teach my kids uh, that I'm coaching now is, you know, whatever role the coach gives you, play it to the best of your ability. Um, that role may change at any given point. But when it's all said and done, everyone needs to play their role well in order for the team to be successful. And I was grateful that they gave me an opportunity to do that. Man, you talk about role playing and, you know, but being a small name, like they're not a franchise name. And you're coming out of FSU as the Heisman Trophy winner. Come, Charlie, how did you make that decision from switching over from being on the stage of one of the, the, the top CFL's college football players in the league to now getting drafted by the NBA? 
Well, it was a bit of a transition because I hadn't played basketball year-round. But just like everyone today, uh, we're I mean, teams are drafting kids one year removed from high school, and it's all based on potential and so an upside. And so that was really my story as well. Even though I was coming out of uh, college for, you know, up to five years, um, they were really drafting me on upside of potential, um, on what I would look like if I played basketball year-round. And so I was grateful for that because it gave me an opportunity. And that's all I asked for was to have an opportunity to prove myself. And, you know, it was a bit of a challenge uh, coming in, but definitely grateful for Coach Van Gundy, Jeff Van Gundy, for taking me on this wing. Uh, first year and a half or so and worked with me, you know, just developed me as a player um, and I had some veterans, uh, Derek Harper, um, to be able to help me, uh, Herb Williams as well, to be able to help me, you know, navigate my way as far as basketball and being a professional. And so, um, yes, I did have a name coming out as a football player, but not very many people knew about basketball. Uh, but all I asked for is an opportunity. Um, and to prove myself, and I was given that opportunity, and you know I was able to make it work for at least 11 years in the NBA. Charlie, you talked before about being a guy who maybe would get under the opponent's skin, maybe no more so than P.J. Brown, who I still can't stand to this day. That incident sticks with me, that 96-97 season, the fight. Take me – now, look, I watched it. I lived it. I was there with you every possession of the way all those years in the 90s. I've never had a chance to talk to you about it. Your memories, your recollection of that unfortunate incident that led to the multiple suspensions, which, of course, led to the Knicks losing game six and seven and being eliminated by by Miami. What's your perspective on that infamous P.J. Brown incident? Well, you know, I definitely uh, regret uh, getting involved because it did cost us uh, the series uh, because guys came to my aid. But it was definitely a moment where I will remember and didn't uh, repeat uh, because I didn't want to put our team in that situation again. And it just wasn't a good uh, deal for me financially. Uh, when you talk about being suspended for a game, that's 182nd or game check, uh, which is, you know, a lot of things can happen. A lot of people can be fed from that uh, within the family or money can be given away to charity that I prefer. But the thing about PJ and that incident, it was all, you know, just a competitive, eating the heat a moment uh, type deal because that was just the heat. Uh, my I'm mean, the Heat and Knicks rivalry at the time. We had two coaches who were very similar in their styles. And as we know, if you're married, uh, they always say opposites attract. Well, and if you're the same, there's always a bumping of the head. And so that's what it was. That's why when we played the Heat, there was always <laughs> issues. Um, the styles are very similar. The games look the same. Um, but you know, the one thing I do remember is, you know, getting in the incident. But afterwards, uh, PJ and I, you know, good buddies and, you know, we're Christians. And so we made up and it wasn't a big issue. We knew that there was a heat of a moment deal, nothing to carry over. And so um, that was me in general. You know, whenever something happened on the floor, uh, it, it stayed on the floor. And afterwards, you know, it was really over. Um, and so I was grateful that it was a great life learning lesson that even today I share with um, anyone that, you know, I talk to kids 
so they can understand know that you see a lot of things, but you have to experience a lot of things to learn as well. Man, that's a that's a great point. I mean, you 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 talk about that series and and being cut from the same cloth. You got two centers in Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning that I play against in the summer, and they carry the 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 playoffs right into the summer at Georgetown University. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Patrick Ewing and now seeing him as a head coach in college sports? Yes. Um, I was very happy to see Pat uh, when he left uh, the NBA lifestyle and chose to coach uh, in um, college uh, because he has a lot to give. You know, young young kids. Uh, actually, he's offered one of my kids here at Florida, uh, at, at, at Florida High uh, and not sure what's going to happen with that. But, you know, for him to be able to – to be in college and I'm sure a lot of the kids know who he is and they can go back and watch film Uh, but just the wealth of knowledge that he has from his college days uh, his pro days as a player and as a coach uh, what it's going to take to make it into the NBA also get your degree um, all those things uh, he can share with young people and so you know I'm just happy I know he's struggling uh, in some form or fashion right now uh, with the team but I know he has a Great recruiting class coming in uh, with uh, Matumbo's son, Ryan, um, in that group. So hopefully, um, you know, you, you can put a good word in for him there at uh, Georgetown to keep him to where he can stay around for a few more years. Definitely uh, hated to see the loss of uh, Coach Thompson. I know that was a big loss for him and, and all of the Georgetown family. But his memories still live live on and so um i'm i'm just grateful that pat is back in uh, you know college where he can uh, make an impact on the young kids hey charlie it's jake here it's great to chat with a guy who was once called the best quarterback in new york at the time because the jets and giants quarterbacks were so bad charlie uh you, you mentioned earlier about the knicks getting stefan marbury you were part of that trade where he where you went to the suns and then uh would end up with the spurs do you think that was a big mistake by the Knicks? Obviously, after that, it all went downhill. We know the story. The Knicks were where JYD got there, and he wasn't part of them being bad, but the rest of the team wasn't great. Coaching changes left and right. Everything kind of went downhill after you were traded and Stephon Marbury here. Do you think that was a big mistake? No, I don't know if it was a mistake or not. You know, I was on the back end of my career, and uh, they felt like it was a time to find or uh, get another point guard. And, of course, when you have a management change, uh, you have player change. And so uh, Isaiah Thomas came in, and that was one of the guys he revered, and he made a deal. And so, you know, for me, I'm I'm going to always be grateful for New York uh, giving me an opportunity and then keeping me there for nine and a half years as a role player, which normally doesn't happen. So I, I played with a lot of guys, a lot of guys who came through the Knicks organization in my nine and a half years. You know, I was grateful for that opportunity to be there. I'm just a big believer that everything happens for a reason um, and it's preparing for something. You know, what the Knicks did, that was best for the organization at the time. You know, they have to, we all have to live with our results. You know, the things that we, the things that we decide to do, we have to live with the results. And so the Knicks have had quite a few uh, changes in management and coaching since that time. Uh, but hopefully now we got to a point where we have some stability uh, to where, you know, we can continue to move forward and progress. And as long as pride doesn't get in the way, I think there are great things in store for the Knicks. There's no doubt you're a role model, um, C. Ward. I got to get your one uh, scripture you're going to lay on us for all athletes because you always had them. Whatever you do, do it as working for the Lord and not for man. That's Colossians 3.23. Oh, that's nice. 
That's nice right there. I hope everybody's listening. Charlie, one more for me. And look, obviously, you're a man of great faith and a faithful husband. How difficult? Now, I don't know. I mean, JYD, you guys could speak to it. But just from the outside, you get a feel for especially, you know, young kids at 20, you know, their mid-20s, early 20s in the NBA and traveling and all that stuff. How difficult was it for you to be a part of that NBA lifestyle on the road with maybe other athletes doing things that you don't necessarily believe in? Not only seeing that, but also trying to bond then with those same guys on the court. It's no different than any other team that you you're a part of. Everyone has, you know, they have their own um, things that they like to do. Fortunate for me, being a Christian, we were able to uh, have a Bible study uh, when we went on the road. Most of the times, we kind of hung out together, um, whether it was eating or doing things that, you know, were like-minded, and the other guys did what they needed and wanted to do. Uh, But when it came to being on the floor, as long as everyone had the same purpose, which was to play a certain way and play together, then we were all good. And I think that's the coach of the, I mean, the job of the coach, uh, which we had a very good coach uh, who made that happen. Guys bought into what it was going to take to win. But guys did off the floor, that was their issue, um, whether it was what they wanted to do and maybe uh, what they didn't want to do. But it was really trying to bond, you know, on the floor, in the locker room. You know, being on the road, it was tough. Staying pure and those types of things, uh, it was tough. But it was definitely helpful when you have other people that are like-minded that are walking with you. Charlie Ward, Heisman Trophy winner, NBA guard, motivational speaker, coach, philanthropist, mentor, and an actor. Charlie, you were on a Netflix comedy series, Family Reunion, in 2020. Are we going to see Charlie Ward, the future Oscar winner, next? <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> I enjoy my time. I enjoyed my time on the family reunion. That was a great experience. I got an opportunity to spend some time with my daughter, who's interested in that field. And so we got a chance to go out to uh, L.A. to do the shoot, you know, for for the day. And so that was a great experience, you know, working, being an, an actor with uh, Pastor Miles McPherson. That was interesting. But I enjoyed it. I'm not sure if that's going to happen again, but uh, just like anything else, tell people, whenever you get an opportunity to do something, enjoy it the moment and so i enjoyed that moment even if it may not even if it doesn't happen again which i i wish it does i wish i will but uh, i'm not sure so i did enjoy that moment charlie just don't start drinking uh, with your pinky out don't get too hollywood on us when you become an oscar winner and not come back on big <laughs> apple buckets all right all right i won't be drinking with no pinky out. <laughs> we enjoyed this moment with Charlie Ward, and I enjoyed watching you play, Charlie. We appreciate the couple of minutes. Host of Believe in the ACC podcast, B-L-E-A-V, with Lloyd Spence and JR. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Charlie on Twitter as well, at Real Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward! Thanks so much, Charlie. Loved, uh, loved having you. We appreciate the few minutes. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, y'all. Y'all have a great one. All right, it's time to debut a new segment where longtime Knicks fan Sal Licata takes us back to his Knicks fan glory days of the 90s with the first installment of Sal's story. Take it away, Sal. You know, it's been so long, Producer Jake, that I've had this passion for the Knicks. It's been great doing this podcast, kind of rekindles some of that old feel that I had for this Knicks basketball team, but 
in the 90s when I first started out becoming a fan, I lived and died with every possession. You could tell some of that when we have, you know, Chris Childs or Charlie Ward on. And I start thinking back to those days. So off of the heels of the Charlie Ward interview where we touched on P.J. Brown and all that mess with the Heat and the Knicks getting suspended and losing Game 6 and Game 7 and getting eliminated in once again excruciating fashion. Well, fast forward to two years later when the Knicks got great revenge on the Heat in Game 5 of that first round series. Again, remember, these teams were mirror images of each other. They were exactly the same. They were clones. It was such battles. Game in, game out. The possessions, each possession mattered so much. The hard-nosed defense, scoring tough to come by. Anyway, Knicks lose that series to Miami. Fast forward a couple years to the season. The Knicks eventually went to the finals. That first-round series, game five, down in Miami. The Allen Houston jumper. That when you ask me to come up with some stories from the past of my Knicks fandom, this is the first one that comes to mind. Not that I remember the game so much, although I, I feel like there was a big lead in the beginning for Miami, but the Knicks came all the way back or either one way or another, there was a huge lead by one of the teams. And then it was, of course, the comeback and then a tight game, nip and tuck, neck and neck. And I remember where I was in my parents' living room on the couch watching it. It was a, I'm assuming Sunday afternoon. It was either Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. So, you know, back then the NBA on NBC with the greatest theme song of all time. Anyway, I remember my reaction to that shot. And I know people, all Nick fans have all different memories of where they were, what they did. I jumped off my couch. You know, remember the shot hits the rim, goes up off the backboard, comes back in, ran outside like a lunatic screaming so much so that I stubbed my foot and my toe on the stoop at the time, to a point where I hurt myself celebrating the Allen Houston shot. So that is the number one story. And remember, I could give you all examples of watching all these different games. That's the one, though, that comes to the forefront. That game five, the 99 playoffs against Miami, the elimination game in the first round. Knicks in Miami. Houston shot goes down. Miami goes home. One of the great sports moments for me as a fan overall, not just Nick fandom, One of the great sports moments of all time, running outside, stubbing my toe on the stoop to that Allen Houston game-winning bucket. And the thing is, you wouldn't remember it if you hadn't stubbed your toe, man. (laughs) It was the stubbed toe that really took it over the top. Because you remember that, man. That joint hurt. (laughs) That was good. You know what? The pain was a little less with the win, knowing that Miami was – JYD, I mean, I hated those teams as much. I know everybody says, well, hate's a strong word. I hated those Miami Heat teams with a passion. Those series were nasty. And especially after what happened a couple of years prior with P.J. Brown and Charlie Ward and everybody getting suspended. That was as sweet a victory as the 90 Knicks ever had. Even though they went to the finals, that one game five victory over Miami was as sweet as it was. And yes, the stub toe certainly sticks out. We played Miami in the series before that Knicks series. And I can tell you that one of my teammates, he basically canceled the series. We're on our way to Miami and he's packing fishing poles on his way to a series of playoffs. Teammate Terry Mills. Oh, man. Terry Mills is our starting center going up against Alonzo Moore. Shout out to Terry. But he packed his, pish, his fishing poles. Go fishing in Miami. We knew his teammates, man. That was it. <laughs>
That does it for us on episode 29 of Big Apple Buckets, our Knicks podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camarada for producing the show. Subscribe to Big Apple Buckets on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a five-star rating, will you? Write a nice review as well. We appreciate it. For the JYD, Jerome Williams, I'm Sal Licata. We'll chat with you guys next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe.